The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK. And on the episode today, we're going to be discussing Fulham's pretty routine 2-0 win over Hull. Three wins in a row, Fulham top of the league. And you know what it's time for. Oh, Hopefully that gets played every episode this season. Uh, will remain to be seen. Uh, joining me on the podcast today is Adam Carson. Morning, Sammy. George Singer. Hello, mate. And Isabel Barker. Morning, Sammy. How are we doing? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Well, um, let's come on to some three-word reviews from yesterday's game. Adam, you were having a stroll through uh, Twitter and Instagram for some of the best ones. What came through? It's always a lot more fun when Fulham actually win a game to go through these. So I've got a couple of different ones. We've got first of all Jacob Krupa with Seri Seri Sauce. Not oh, sure if we nice. can use. I'm not sure if we can use that one since they're basically our business. Um, we've got Cheese FFC of Tigers cause injuries. I like it just because it is so straightforward. Um, yeah, yeah, that is actually um, a, a very neat one. Uh, Frank Miller's heading for silverware, and as you just did, Dave Kettlehake with Sound the Horn. Does he want it again? I think he does. David, this is for you. How sick are you going to be of that by May? Uh, (laughs) Well, thank you for those, Adam. Uh, Just to say before we start, by the way, um, we are brought to you by The Athletic UK. And if you want to get a subscription in time for transfer deadline day, uh, which is just under 10 days away, you can right now by going to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod and save 33% on the regular subscription. Let's come on to the game then. Um, Isabel, I'll start with you. That is about as a routine win you will ever get. Um, 2-0, goals in the first half, no jeopardy in the second, no threat from the opponents. It was just a quite nice day out at at home, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bread and butter championship win, you know, Mitro getting that header. But um, I do think it wasn't our best performance. I have to say, I didn't know if we were carrying maybe a little bit of that kind of amazing performance from Millwall, a bit of a hangover from that. Um, and, and, and the display against Huddersfield. I did feel at times that maybe we were missing that final touch, the likes of Seri, just just not quite making that that pinpoint pass. But obviously, yeah, it, and then the goal came at the most random time. Obviously, Ream coming off, it seemed like it was a bit of a nightmare. And then we then we got the goal. And yeah, we just looked in the driving seat from there, really. Yeah, um, George, it wasn't straightforward. Um, and those injuries probably, you know, a big reason behind that. Um but the goals couldn't have been more straightforward, really. Um, that Mitrovic opener, I mean, what happened? Suddenly you're the most dangerous striker. You could have landed a helicopter in the space he had in that box. It was fantastic. I mean, one of, I know my gripes and a gripe of, of lots of Fulham fans out there is us at set pieces. Um, and I really fell with Marco Silva coming in his record at set pieces, you know, definitely at Everton have been really poor. And I was thinking, oh, like it's, it's, we're never going to score a, from a corner ever again. But that was a really well worked piece. Um, I, I caught, obviously, it's difficult to see from the hammy end, but I did see um, a quick replay of the goal. And it looked like a really clever run of Mitrovic kind of initially making that parallel run. And I don't know whether he meant it or not, but he looked like he ran his marker into one of their own players who fell over. And that just gave him so much space. And I, I really hope that was that was straight from the training ground, because if it was, that was a, a superb piece of play. Um, and yeah, all, all the more for it. You know, if we can keep nicking those set piece goals and, um, and do a lot better with those this season, I think that could be a, a real strength for us. Yeah, I, I was with um, Ali Maxwell from Not The Top 20 yesterday. He came to the game with me and, you know, he just said like, you guys are so strong this season. You're, you've got so much firepower in, in your team. Then to get a set piece goal is just like a 
bonus. Like if, got, if teams are going to let you score those kind of goals, then they're really going to struggle to contain you, Adam. And, and and that's, I guess, the kind of the long and the short of it. Like, I don't imagine we're going to score absolutely tons of set piece goals this season. But when we do, as you say, you've just got to chalk that off as a, oh, nice. That's a bit of a, that's an added, bit of an added boost. Yeah, I've got a bit boring of, uh, a bit bored of every season watching Fulham going, oh, it's a corner. We're not going to score from this one. We're not going to score from this one. But we are mixing up, as Singer said, as to what we're actually doing from those set piece um, routines. Even just the fact that um, Seri's taking corners from one side, Cabana's taking them from another, it does also mean that we are varying up those routines from side to side. But um, the thing that I found most interesting about that, that goal from Mitrovic is that, you know, there was pandemonium caused by the fact even Alfie Mawson was like absolutely sprinting towards the box. He had just come on for this. That might have caused them a little bit of indecision. We're not just the team that you expect to score, you know, the pretty goals. We are actually scoring the goals that make the difference. I just love the fact that we can score from set pieces, but we're also um, going to be getting quite a few nice goals the whole time that Fabio Carvalho is at the club. Yeah, yeah. Isabel, let's come on to Fabio's goal. Um, just a nice little move, really, wasn't it? Up started off by Anthony Robinson. Good work on the left from him. I feel like Anthony Robinson's performances haven't been given an awful lot of like airtime this season. I guess we've been distracted by the return of form of Mitrovic, definitely by Fabio Carvalho, and maybe you know impressive performances by the likes of, of Cabano and stuff. But Robinson's vital to this team. He's still keeping out a, a very good player in Joe Bryan, and yeah, it was his run that led to, to the goal from Fabio and. Well, we come to expect it now, don't we? Fabio scores every game. It's just one of those things. Not not, not a big deal. Yeah, I think huge credit credit must be given to Robinson because I think he gets a lot of stick from the fans and, and I can understand it. But for him to actually kind of land that inch perfect cross was really good to see because he gets so much stick for, for his crossing and, and doing that in training. I think there was a video on social media going around of him doing like keepy uppies and everyone was like, get practicing your crossing. And so it was nice to see him actually, yeah, <laughs> land one of those and and Carvalho he's just you know he's just at that perfect age where he's just like soaking up the pressure loving it and and yeah he, and, and he and he always delivers um and I didn't think he had a particularly like a better game than Millwall Millwall he just looked like unstoppable but still yeah. to score in that game when he was kind of kept a bit quieter was just amazing and like you say it's just like expected now you know he delivers he's got that confidence and that's so important I know I don't want to make a Brentford comparison but you know Ivan Tony he said he's so confident and young that he can just score and I feel like we've got that with with um, Carvalho and and that's so important yeah, yeah. I mean, not not loving the Ivan Tony reference there, is he? But we'll go with it. Um, that's, that's a yellow card. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, Singer. I, I mean, what can we say about this this lad? Three goals, three games. Um, I mean, he just seems to be soaking up the pressure really, really well. Uh, he did get come off with a small injury um yesterday hopefully didn't look quite as serious as the as the ream or or tete ones but still enough that he was was pulled off i think he probably just needs a break i'd be very surprised to see him play on tuesday in the carabao yeah definitely after a few of the a few of the uh the dirtier teams in the league giving him a, a kick or two um i think one of the things i really really like about carvalho and one of the reasons why i hope he'll be able to keep this form going is a, a little bit like like Cess when when he was playing for us of so that that skill to not necessarily kind of dominate the game in the build up or or be kind of hugely influential but just in those moments he happens to be in the right place at the right time he happens to be in the box exactly where the ball ends up um and he just has that composure um, yeah, he just has that composure to be able to put the ball in the back of the net. And we we saw that with Cess a lot. You know, Cess never, you know, he's never hugely influential in the game, but he would always end up scoring one or two purely by being in the right place at the right time. And I wonder whether Carvalho might be kind of a little bit in that mould. Um, I think, you know, we've got a really special player on our hands here. And especially when we've got so much quality around him we've got fast wingers we've got fullbacks who put the ball in the box we've got Mitrovic who distracts defenders so much it's going to give him so much space and I really hope you know this does feel like the perfect club for him right now you know he's going to get 
lots of support. He's got a fan base who loves him. He's going to be in a team that's dominating most matches. He's going to get plenty of chances. You know, it really does feel like it's a, it's a bit of a marriage made in heaven at the moment between Fulham and Carvalho. Yeah, yeah, he does seem to have that sixth sense that that Sessegnon had. I, I would argue that he maybe is way more involved in build-up generally than Sessegnon was. Sessegnon was uh, not a tapping merchant or whatever, but he did kind of have that tendency to just be on the end of things, but actually you didn't notice him in games. And I feel like Fabio's slightly more involved in the build-up that, than the likes of, of Sessegnon, but still, you are completely right for me. He just seems to have that knack of being in the right place at the right time at the moment I mean long may it continue like Sessegnon scored a lot of goals in 17-18 and was really really influential for us um, and, and hopefully Fabio can kind of do the same really but it, it remains to be seen and and that's the, the this disappointing thing I think with Sessegnon that's happened it's almost he seems to by the fact that he never seems to get that much consecutive game time he seems to have lost a bit of that sixth sense that kind of he had at, at Fulham and I, I watched a little bit of him in the Europa Conference League with um, Spurs on uh, Thursday, interesting enough, against um, Marcus Silva's old club. Just that little bit of spark seems to have gone in Cess and, and it's obviously really disappointing. And, and I guess it's it just shows how important, you know, Fabio will be thinking, where am I going next after Fulham? Clearly, whether it's in, you know, a year's time, three years time, it just shows how important it is to get that next move correct. Obviously, I hope that doesn't happen, but, you know, Got to remain realistic here. Um, Adam, let's come on to the injuries. Um, I guess you'll have had quite a good view for Tim Reams. Uh, you're you're in the Johnny Haynes stand. So what happened really? Looked like he kind of fell on his back, but he yeah. really looked in a lot of distress. It, it Honestly, it was one of those where all of us around us were saying, you know, Reem does not just roll about on the floor at all ever in games. He's the first person up. And as soon as he fell on, so he fell from quite a height, but when he did fall, I wasn't sure whether his elbow went inwards. So he kind of fell with his his elbow close to the floor, but straight away, his back was kind of in spasm and he was rolling about on the floor in a, in a lot of pain, face buried into the turf. And, you know, that was a good kind of three, four minutes of that one. Even when the physios came on, he kind of couldn't bring himself back up. And as soon as he stood up as well, you know, he tried to give it a little run off and that wasn't working. He couldn't, he couldn't, he could barely move. I'm surprised I didn't stretch him off, to be honest. Obviously, we did the slowest clap off for Reem as possible, but it feels as though they could have brought a stretcher on just to take him off because he was struggling to walk by that point. But we know with back injuries, they can sometimes get better after, you know, a week's worth of rest. Um, it was just an unfortunate landing from his perspective. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully, you know, it isn't too serious. Maybe something that a couple of weeks of rest can can heal. Uh, I guess maybe it'll be now up in the air whether he goes on international duty with the States or not. Um, so fingers crossed, maybe he might be back for that Blackpool game if, if he just needs a couple of weeks recovery time. But look, I don't want to speculate. I'm sure Marco Silva or the club will well, maybe give us some info. I don't know. Do, do the cl- are the club going to be giving injury news this year? They certainly didn't last year. So who knows under the Marco Silva regime, is it still going to be cloak and dagger when it comes to uh, injuries? Um, and then Izzy, yeah, Tete, just a, a few minutes later, also getting clattered. Um, did you see this one? It looked like he kind of got shoved into the like advertising hoardings near the Hull fans after a, after a cross. Yeah, I probably speak for a lot of fans right now. And I've got to be honest, I didn't notice it until he was literally walking down the tunnel. And I saw so many people like, was that Tete? Was that Tete? So I'm not 100% sure what happened. I just know that it's a massive blow to us. But um, George, maybe you can offer a bit more info on that because I didn't fully see the injury. I can't either. Um, I remember, so I was watching the game. So I think it came from a forward run that, that Tete made. Um, I remember him him making that overlapping run. And then about a minute later, I looked at the pitch and I thought, I had to like count the amount of players. I was like, okay, someone's missing. Who's missing? And it took me another minute to work out, okay, Tete, where where the hell is Tete? Um, I had no idea. Sammy, I had to find you at half time. I was like, what uh, what happened? I don't know. <laughs> did you um was it did you say that he got clattered into an advertising board? 
It, I don't know, but that was obviously where he went down injured. Again, yeah, totally missed it. I think it probably happened while Fulham were attacking, so we probably just had eyes on the ball, really. Um, you know, there isn't a huge amount of info in there. If you read the match report on the club website, it just says injuries continued to plague Fulham's momentum as Kenny Tete was forced off a Bobby Decker over Reed. So, yeah, there's not a huge amount of info there. So, I, I don't know, it might be by the time actually you're listening to this, that a little bit more information is given. But yeah, I, I'm not sure. The one thing I wanted to come on to, George, though, was the substitution that was made. We didn't really have a huge amount of options. Um, there was no recognised right back on the bench, which is mad considering how many recognised right backs we have in our squad because we have about 67, but none of them appeared to be on the Fulham substitutes bench yesterday. So Bobby Deckard over Reed came on and... I was in two minds about this. I was like, he did play there a bit last season. Um, he is right-sided and it kind of worked because Hull offered no threat. I mean, they probably had their most dangerous player, Lewis Potter, on that left-hand side, but Bobby did okay. So I guess in the end, yeah, well done. Good decision, probably, in hindsight. Yeah, I mean, there, there's two strange things to unpack there, right? One of them being, so the other right-backs we have at the club, so Cyrus Christie, who played for the reserves in the morning, I believe, uh, or the under-23s, I should say. Um, Dennis Adoy obviously can play there. I don't quite know where he was. Um, and then Stevie Sess seems to have just fallen off the face of the earth. So it, it is quite a strange one of, one, where are those backup right-backs? And if we're not going to play the people we have on the books, then, you know, really this this shows maybe a, a lack of backup there. Um and yeah, I, yeah. I, really, I really didn't mind uh, Bobby at uh, uh, right back. Um, I don't think it's his most natural position, um, but he did quite a solid <laughs> job there. Um, I thought he, you know, he played a, a solid role. Um, he got forward a fair bit. Um, I don't think he offered as much as Tete and it showed, I think it really showed when Tete came off, you know, the value that he has, you know, he's so strong with his overlapping runs. I really like how Silver has given you know him free reign and Robinson on the other side to just overlap and put crosses in. Um, and for me, you know, I, I think it's uh, you know potentially a really scary one if if Tete is out for a while. You know, God, I hope he isn't. But if he is out for a while, maybe that's a, a bit of a weakness we have in the in the squad at the moment. Yeah, weakness. Although I would argue that yeah, surely out of one of the options, like they're fine. Like I don't mind. Like, look. Kenny Tete, I think, is a better right back than Cyrus Christie. But like, I've got no issue with Cyrus Christie. He was okay at Forest last season and like is a more than able understudy at championship level. Maybe it was just unfortunate that we were like, okay, let's give Cyrus some minutes. And it just happened to be kind of on the same day or within 24 hours of a match. Um, to me, it shows the value of Dennis Adoy. Like, uh, I don't think Dennis Adoy is... You've kind of seen the progression of Dennis Adoy. 17-18, he was an absolute staple of our defence. Um, 19-20, he was kind of a fleeting player in our promotion campaign. At the moment, he can't even seem to get on the bench, but he is versatile. If you can't give him anything else, Dennis Adoy is versatile. He can play literally left back, centre back, right back, probably do a job at DM if you asked him to. And and to me, I think that's why he's such a useful player to have on the bench. He, he He's a Swiss army knife in defence. He can literally cover all positions and we got away with it yesterday. If this was next week against Stoke, I'd have been extremely worried to see Bobby Deckard over Reed playing right back. You know, I, I think maybe Marcus Silva needs to rethink that a little bit. Like, Come on, like, I mean, it's an unfortunate set of circumstances. Probably if Reem hadn't got injured, he could have brought Mawson on and moved someone else to right back, like a Reem or a Tosin or, or something like that, or maybe even Mawson himself. But even so, that would have been a not a great solution to have an Alfie Mawson at right back if it was against a, a more difficult team. So, you know, that's to me why I think Dennis Adoy can be useful. I would have wondered if Joe Bryan could have done a half a job at, at right back. Like he's a full back. Yes, it's not on his favoured side, but Adam, surely like Joe Bryan would have been more used to playing right back than Bobby Deckard over Reed. I'd have, I'd have thought so. I think... Um... It was interesting that Dennis Adoy and Stephen Sessignon were both actually in the stands, sitting behind 
uh, the subs bench. So they were obviously there, but then again, they were amongst Harrison Reed and Tom Kearney. So we don't know extent of fitness from that level. But Dennis Adoy has been on the bench for previous games. I would have always put him in there, as you say, Swiss Army knife. Let's have someone in there to be able to cover all of those positions. When he didn't bring on Joe Bryan, I was questioning the decision initially because, as you say, I'm not a massive fan of inverted fullbacks. I think it can cause us problems. But given Hull weren't actually attacking that side nearly as much as you know some of the bigger teams might do, um, I think Joe Bryan would have been a fine replacement. On the performance of Bobby Deckwood over Reed, though, I felt really frustrated watching him because I think he was constantly looking back because he didn't want to be caught out. So whenever he looked like he was going to venture forward, and even when there was a gap that maybe Tete would have gone for, I think he was looking backwards thinking, I need to pass this one off. I'm still a right back. So it was just frustrating watching someone in their position that clearly didn't favour their um, skill set. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those positions that you really need to know what the hell. I mean, he did play there quite a bit in the Premier League, admittedly right wing back. So it's not like he was thrown into it. But I remember I played a football game a, a few months ago and I generally play like midfield. I like to think I'm a striker if I can, but uh, and no one else seems to think I'm a very good striker. But anyway, I was new to this team and just in a classic way, just the manager was just like, can you do right back for us? And I was like, no, not really. But I just didn't want to kick up a fuss. And it's the most horrible position to play I was I was up against Linford Christie um on the left wing and it's just the most like it was the most soul-destroying 90 minutes of my life I'd had no idea what I was doing and yeah it's one of those positions which if you're not massively experienced in it you you can have a nightmare fortunately as you say Hull didn't offer a lot although Lewis Potter does look like he could be a talent going forward for Hull um quick one on Alfie Mawson's performance Izzy um I thought he was really, really good in, in, in the centre of defence. And it's a bit like Jean-Michel Serry. I'm suddenly like, what's happened here? We've gone back in time to a time where we actually thought that like Mawson was going to be the option, the answer for us. We also thought that Serry was the answer for us. It is, it, it's, it's like blasts from the past, but yeah, Alfie Mawson may be starting to justify that, that, that big money move that he made to us could he potentially be a longer term option if 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 this ream injury is as serious as we hope it isn't it's exactly that i think it's the fact that we're seeing the likes of um, mawson and seri you know looking so much better and it makes us seem a bit less of an embarrassment all these big money moves and wages and things like that and and maybe that's credit to marco silva and and the the, the training pattern all these players are, are getting injured and things like that but I guess it wasn't wasn't their fault, but the, the work ethic in training is obviously, you know, reached another level and that and that's due to Marco Silva and he is getting the best out of these players. And yeah, I was really impressed too. I felt like he was committing to so many tackles. He was there, he was a nuisance at least. And I think he really filled that void when um when Reem did come off. Um and, and I was worried because Reem's been having such a good season. But um yeah, no, no, really impressed. And he just made such a bother of himself that that he was good against the likes of of Hull and I think we can get away with it I guess the real test we'll see if if he can do it against West Brom and and, and maybe Bournemouth and, and teams like that yeah yeah well big test potentially next Saturday with Stoke because uh, they're level on points with us at the uh, at the top of the table and um, I guess that's my, my final point really here Singer is is where Fulham kind of will will end the week it's uh, it, it is top of the tree it's one goal difference uh, ahead of West Brom who also got a win yesterday Stoke um level on points with us now but um Bournemouth uh bottled a 2-0 lead I don't want to say we love to see it but it was we, reasonably we enjoyable I'll yeah, say it. It was, I love to see it uh, it was reasonably enjoyable when that one came up through um through live score and, and Sheffield United what on earth happened there? I mean, madness. I was like, oh no, they've equalised against Huddersfield. What a disappointment. And then someone tapped me on the shoulder like a few minutes later, like, you've seen Sheffield United score? I was like, yeah, I know, one all. How disappointing. He's like, no, they scored in the night <laughs> minute. I was just like, yes, come on. <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting so excited about other teams' downfalls three games into the four games into the season, but it maybe just goes to show that, like, yes, it is looking like Fulham West Brom will be quite dominant this year, but the the championship will surprise you in ways that you in that you don't expect. And as much as we like to talk about us getting like a hundred points this season, there is still some unpredictability in this league, even if it's maybe not at the levels it used to be. There's a long, long way to go. However, what we're starting to do, which we've never had before, like certainly under Jukanovic, bless him, um, is we're starting to build that buffer between 
other sides around us. There are some really strong sides, the sides who would be within the playoff hunt, who have already dropped a few points where we haven't. And I think that's, you know, it's a really good start. And I think, you know, not only have we built this buffer, I think where we actually might help ourselves is games like this, where in the second half, we took our foot off the gas. You know, we saved we saved a bit of fuel to keep the car analogy going. And I think that's going to help us going, that's going to help us long-term. You know, this, the championship is a marathon. We're, we're saving energy. We've got such strength and depth and we're already building a buffer between us and, uh, and some of those chasing us. So I think it, it's really good to see. Um, and yeah, I'm feeling really, really positive for the, uh, for the rest of the season upcoming. I always think September's a really, really important month because I remember Andrew Yukanovich um, back in 16, 17, I think we may have been on like 10 points at the same uh, time, like, you know, three wins and a draw and we were kind of top-ish of the league um, kind of going into September. And then like, I think we lost to like Burton Albion away and we we fell off a cliff a bit in September and then we were chasing from from then on. So I think, Adam, it's, it's a case of like, we'll see what happens against Stoke next week. That's already looking like a bit of an early doors six pointer ish um against a team that are clearly talented i don't know if you've seen um one of the stoke goals that they scored yesterday it's a full-on um team move i mean it's like is this stoke i'm watching it was unreal like a proper passing move all the way from the back on running fullback um then gets the gets a lovely finish at the end so they are absolutely flying at the moment so that's probably kind of the litmus test going into the international break. That game is looking like a real marker. I don't think you can say six pointer when it's the fifth game of the season, but I think you can maybe say, okay, this is a bit of a statement game for the, for the league and how it's going to form. Yeah. Let's just see exactly where we're at. And I, I think we've said this on every podcast leading into the next games though. We've said, oh yeah, but Huddersfield weren't that great. We'll see where we, where we are against, you know, like said Millwall and we pass that test and then, we're constantly passing those tests and I, I'm actually more excited about playing one of the more competitive teams in this league uh, come next Saturday because it will let us know exactly where we're at with the strength and depth. It will let us know where some of these, maybe some of the signings that we haven't seen tested a great deal. I'm sure we'll come on to it in the questions, but you know, the likes of Gazaniga, maybe it's a case, how do we see if Mawson can fit into this team? It's probably against the likes of Stoke that we actually see whether we can compete there. Um, I think, uh, as you say about September being a really important month, I don't remember Fulham being in this position where we're actually starting games off on the front foot as well. So we're actually scoring early on. And as Singer said, able to not take our foot off the gas, but play a different kind of game, bit of game management in the second half, rather than having to chase leads or try and score last minute winners, which I don't necessarily think that we are set up for. I think we're set up more for hitting teams quickly, going out of the blocks and then getting results. But against Stoke, if both teams go for it, it's going to be one hell of a game next Saturday. Yeah. As you say, Adam, I'm just excited. Like, yeah, as you like, let, let, let bring it on. Because I think that, I think Stoke are good. I think it will be a challenge. Um, but also I, I do really believe in this team and, and that's a great place to be. All right, we're going to take a quick break uh, and then we're going to get into the post bag. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here and I'm joined by George Singer. Hello. Adam for Carson. Morning. Okay, look, let's come on to some of your questions then. Uh, Let's start with this one from Vincent Leander. Says, as a Fulham fan based in Hull, how many days of the week can I wear my Fulham shirt in a row before it's deemed excessive? Isabel. Oh, babes, you've got to keep wearing that shirt 100%. Like, gloat as much as you can. Enjoy it. Enjoy it as a Fulham fan. We have so much misery. Just enjoy it. Um, And yeah, send some pictures in. I'd love to see. (laughs) You also live in Hull, so, you know, anything to cheer things up. Let's come on to another question. Matt Wall says, having been the club to save him from loan life, are we about to loan out Hector? I've got a bit of intel on uh, Michael Hector yesterday because um, I was one of about a dozen Fulham fans that ran into him on the on Finley Street yesterday. So uh, it was about like quarter to three. Uh, he wasn't in the squad, so he was able to turn up at, at quarter to three. And uh, the fan that was walking in front of us kind of, I mean, everyone was just suddenly like, oh, it's Michael Hector, it's Michael Hector. And then um, everyone was like, Michael, why are you not playing? You're Virgil van Mike and all of this. And um, I think he was obviously just a bit like, oh, please shut up. But also... Um, 
he just kept saying, yeah, I'm just not fit. It's not fit enough, not fit. So um, I don't know if it, it was, it didn't bode well for, for us seeing much of, of Virgil this season, but yeah, I think it could potentially be lone life for Hector. I think we mentioned it on a, on a, on a previous podcast as well, that I think it seems like the perfect solution for Hector this season is sticking back on loan. Hopefully he can regain some of his confidence and look what happened to Alfie Mawson, right? You know, went on loan last season, didn't even do that amazingly on loan. Obviously got injured um, quite early on at Bristol city, got his chance yesterday. I don't, I don't think that I never like you. You see what happens with 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 Fulham at the moment, and some of these players like Seri and Mawson, who I thought were done at Fulham, absolutely one hundred percent done, and back in the side. Like football moves on pretty quickly, so let's let's see. I still think he was a bloody talented player that pretty much got us promotion, or at least got us to the line where we could achieve promotion when he came in nineteen twenty. Um, George Jared asks, how does Reed get into this team? Really good question, um, and. It shows the the strength and depth that we got. That there's not a clear path for Reed, even though he's you know arguably one of our best, if not our best players of the last two seasons. Um, for me, it I'm I'm not quite sure because I don't I don't want to see any of the current midfield players dropped. I, I quite like the Serian on a. Um, pivot at the moment. I, I quite like how Seri will drop deep, and actually, although he certainly couldn't play the role in the Premier League, actually in the Championship, he's got more than enough about him to play that deeper, slightly more defensive role on his own without that protection. I, I'd be a little bit concerned with playing both Reed and Seri. I think they're maybe slightly too deep to play together, um, and that doesn't quite go along with how. Silver likes to play, so you know it's it's a difficult one. I say let's let's ask the question again after the end of the transfer window. You know, I I do expect certainly Angisa to go. I hope he doesn't, but there is a chance that Seri goes. And if Seri goes, I think Reed probably naturally takes that place of the most kind of the deepest of those midfield three that we play. Yeah, it's a shame though, isn't it really? Because like we all absolutely love Harrison Reed, but as you say, a, a Seri Reed pivot probably doesn't work. I think a Reed Onoma pivot definitely works, but I think it possibly at the moment is one of Seri or Reed and that makes it difficult. And also they offer different things. Harrison Reed was so useful for us in the prep, like because we were under so much pressure and he was able to kind of be that kind of, rabbit across the pitch that was just, you know, charging into players and winning back the ball for us when, when we, when we were inevitably not in possession that much, but when we have this much possession or this dominant over teams, like Seri is a much better player to have in, in that circumstance. And maybe it's a case of rotation. Maybe you're thinking, okay, tougher games. Okay. We're going to face West Brom and Bournemouth and maybe even Stoke next week. Maybe that's when you need a Harrison Reed. but when it's, you know, you know, kind of like party time against, like weaker teams in this league. You know, if we're going against, I don't know, the likes of Derby County or Preston or whatever, maybe that's where you put in a slightly more luxury player like um, Seri. Uh, let's come on to a question for Adam. Uh, it says, who do we want to see play in the Carabao on Tuesday and fight for a place in the 11? Um, would it be Joe Bryan, Dennis Adoy, Jay Stansfield? He's he's given some su- suggestions for you there, Adam, but I'm sure you've got All plenty of yourself. All of the above, plus I would like to see um, what would happen if we started, you know, the likes of maybe, maybe some of the, like, as you say, with Jay Stansfield, I think the difficulty is he's on the bench and we don't want to bring him on in the championship when we don't have to. Whereas yeah. actually, if he's getting those minutes in for us in the first team, I think Carabao Cup's the perfect opportunity. I'd like to see Marek Rodak um, given a run out in goal. I don't think that he's going to get particularly tested in in, um, the Carabao Cup either, Um, but it it might be enough to put the two against one another because I don't think that at the minute we can tell which one's going to be better out of Gazaniga and Rodak. I'd love to see Joe Bryan playing at left back as well, Um, but at centre-back, it's an interesting one. We don't really have that much of a choice in terms of what we can do. You could play Dennis Adoy in there and give Tosin a rest, but you're probably going to have to play Alfie Morrison and get some more minutes uh, into his legs. Um, if Harrison Reed is fit, that's probably one of the better games to start giving him some minutes and giving Seri a rest as well. And then obviously we do have uh, our squad player um, of Angisa. You just never know. They might just want to give him a, a run out in the Carabao as well. 
Yeah. Just, you know, oh, we bring him off the bench sometimes. He's just one of those players. We can put him in if we want, but it's literally the most ridiculous situation we're in where we're just playing this absolute Rolls Royce of a player for the last 30 minutes in championship wins against Hull just to come on. Go on, Anguisa. Flick, flick the ball over a few people's heads. Um, Singer, you wanted to come in, I think, over the goalkeeper situation. Yeah, well, I saw, um, I imagine it was probably on your list anyway. There were some questions about the goalkeeper situation and I saw... Um, you there know, was more of a fiery debate in my mentions this morning over the last... So, so I was like, all right, lads, save it for the pod. Um, yeah. But well, between we love two a, people. We, um, at Fulham, we love a good goalkeeper debate, right? It, it brings me back to bets versus butts again. Um, so uh, it was an interesting question and one I wanted to dig a little bit deeper in and see, okay, why is Gazaniga playing? Um, and there's some interesting stuff in the data. So um, basically what, what I found through a little bit of digging is kind of looking at shot stopping rate, depending on the quality of shots you've got coming in. So for each goalkeeper, you can work out, okay, compared to an average goalkeeper, yeah. how many goals are you saving and conceding? So kind of, relative to the strength of the shots you get. Um, And what we see is Gazaniga in uh, when he was playing for Spurs. So he played a couple of games and then there was a season, I think 18, 19, where he played a a good chunk of the season. And actually his shot stopping rate is really, really strong. He's above average and saved Spurs kind of a couple of goals within that period. I guess the other piece to that is Rodak as well has really similar strong uh, shot stopping metrics, you know, across that uh, promotion season where he played pretty much the whole of the year. You know, he again saved, I think, something like five goals compared to an average keeper. So I think we've got two really strong options there. I'm wondering if Gazaniga has proved that he could do this in the Premier League, whereas Rodak has only proved he could do it one season in the championship. So, you know, I think we're in a really strong position here of having two great keepers. Um, They're going to fight for each other. They're going to, you know, keep each other honest. But I'm wondering whether Gazaniga, having proved it at a higher level, maybe that's the piece in Silver's mind, which has given him the number one uh, gloves for now. But, you know, who's to say we might see a bit of rotation throughout uh, throughout the season with those two. Yeah, it's a really difficult one. And I think a lot of people are almost ready to pounce on Gazaniga if there is a mistake. There was a weird flap towards the end of the game. I'm not 100% sure what happened there. All of a sudden I was like, yeah, Gazaniga's got that. And then he decided just to juggle the ball um, for for a split second, which got us all off our seats, which we'd been glued to for about 45 minutes because nothing had happened. Um, But, you know, we can't be surely, you know, saying, oh, Rodak in, because he you know, went, and caught the ball again. Like, I, I think, I, I don't like it at the moment. It feels like a slight unhealthy air around around Gazaniga at the, t- at the time. Like, look, I probably would have rather had Rodak in, in the squad this season, if or, or just based on, you know, loyalty and fairness. But that's not what football managers look at, you know, when it comes to picking their team to piss the league, you don't piss the league based on, you know, obviously, yes, you need a bit of loyalty. You need squad management, man management, ultimately though, they're professionals and they'll know that, you know, there's two goalkeepers here and you have to pick the one that you think is going to be the best for you this season, not the one that I'll, because the fans think it's a bit harsh on Rodak. Like, and that's the kind of, but and in that case, I think we have to support Gazaniga, not just hope that he makes a mistake so that Rodak um, eventually comes back in. Okay, Izzy, a question here from Mamba Singh, who says, who is the most important player to keep in our current squad? Mitro, Fabio, Tosin, Frank or Seri? So I, I guess, um, you know, there's, there's nine days left of the window. I think we're all quite resigned that someone's going to leave. I think we think that player is probably Anguissa, but if there was one player that you could put an embargo on, you're absolutely not going anywhere. You are the most vital to this team. Um, You are definitely the captain of the ship uh, of HMS Piss the League, you know. Um, (laughs) Who is is that player? (laughs) 
old me would have said Mitrovic and obviously you know he is banging in so many goals but for me it's about looking at this team being better than just a really incredible championship side I want to be looking at you know really polished Premier League side that can make it in in the top flight and so I would say someone like Carvalho it's a new kind of era at Fulham you know we've got to be think I don't know I, I hold on to so many kind of nostalgic things at Fulham and, and the old ways, but I think we need to be looking at the future and, and the likes of him. And he is so confident. He's in his prime. You know, he's so confident. He can score. He uh, he can, you know, he's just oozing confidence. And I think that that's so important to, 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 to hold on to him. And I also think a young player like him staying at the club, that's going to do so much for him. I think if he goes somewhere else, that could potentially ruin his career because he's not going to play. But if he stays with us, I think it's, you know, a match made in heaven for both of us. So, yeah, definitely like to keep hold of him. And so many people have noticed him. So many people from other clubs, you know, they want a slice. So it's obviously he's doing something right for, for us. So, so you are giving the captain's hat to Fabio Carvalho, the big white HMS captain <laughs> to Fabio. Yeah, who would you give? No, I, I'm, I, I look. I, I asked the questions, Izzy. I, 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 <laughs> I fully, agree, I fully agree with your choice. Um, I'm sure Adam can uh, Photoshop that later uh, when he's when he's got a spare five minutes. Um, so um, the final question, uh, and this one is maybe changing the the tone slightly. Um, and I think he's being a bit facetious asking this question and potentially stirring the pot a bit but I have noticed it in a couple of games Blank Space asks why can you hear a penny drop at home games I think it's an uncomfortable question but I just think that I think the atmosphere against Millwall was unreal I wasn't at Huddersfield but I could hear it on the telly that the Fulham fans were in such great voice there was only 800 and I think from being honest and look I'm not at the back banging the drum trying to make it any better so I'm not here saying like oh sing more guys but it's been a bit been a bit tepid let's be honest you know we all had fun with the Middlesbrough fans who thought they were Fenerbahce um and yeah I didn't hear a, I literally didn't hear a word out of the Hull fans yesterday not even like a city duh, duh, duh. but it what could potentially be done about the Craven Cottage atmosphere. And, and also I will we'll caveat that with most teams have shit home atmosphere, but yeah, there just does seem something singer that it would be nice if like us as fans could do something t- to try and improve it. Suggestions. I don't know. It's, um, it's a good point. And I, I guess let's see how, how the rest of the season goes with that. Obviously, I think the Middlesbrough game um, had, it did have a really fun atmosphere and I think it was, it felt more like a celebration of being back. Um, yeah. This was the first game we had where didn't necessarily have that celebration. There wasn't a huge amount going on, on the pitch um, for, for very good reasons, as we've discussed. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I wonder Part of me thinks, you know, is is the Riverside being full the answer to this? But then again, I'm not sure Riverside is any is ever the answer to uh, to, to getting more noise in the sand. I'm not quite sure. Um, you know, I don't think we've ever really been the the loudest fan base. Certainly at home, I think our away support is absolutely banging. But we've always been kind of a a bit more of a quiet family atmosphere at home. Um, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of like that. I, I kind of like us being a more, a more gentle, like um, friendly, um, oh, inviting place. Oh, I kind of like say that. This. Come on, shut me down. Why? why I don't I want, want to be. I don't want to be a Holmesdale fanatic, fathers for justice. But like, like still. <laughs> I think your that, thoughts. I think that I, I do agree with Singer that the Riverside shouldn't be the answer to this, but it will help. I personally sit in the Johnny Haynes stand and, you know, they're way more likely to get excited about the linesman wearing some funny shoes. It's it's genuinely what gets them excited. But in terms of what's actually opposite, when you are literally looking at a stand that has nothing in it, it doesn't exactly inspire you wanting to sing. Um, however, if when you go to a lot of away grounds, you notice that they sometimes put the loudest fans right next to the away fans. And you could imagine if they put a decent section in what is the looking at the pitch, the top right hand side of that Riverside stand right next to the away fans. I think that would actually inspire some kind of um, atmosphere 
at home games. At the minute, you've got effectively the hammy end, which we've already discussed about. Um, it is so far away from the away end that it's actually hard to see hear anything that's going on. So when they do hear it, they're just cheering at one another. It's it's quite a disjointed atmosphere because in the middle of it, you've just got the Johnny Haynes at the minute. Um, yeah. No Riverside stand kind of connecting that. I think that in the long term will fix it. In the short term, I think it's maybe a case of could they get some other people sitting in the party end because that would probably help. It's interesting to see how much maybe the the fans being back is affecting the players though because last season, it, did it really happen? It feels like it didn't happen but you see players like Mitrovic who thrive so much off, you know, like cupping their ears at the away end and, you know, really like jeering up the crowd. So, Maybe, you know, we do need to do a bit better and, and create a bit more of a hostile atmosphere and get behind our players because I didn't hear a single charm. Like it was it was really dead. So I think and I think the players are loving us being back. So we need to make the most of that and try to be louder and, and get involved. But um yeah, you could see Mitra was loving it against Hull, you know, um and 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 at Millwall. So so yeah, I think I think that does help our players as well. I've got three suggestions two are kind of like slightly more longer term i don't know if they'll necessarily be possible until the riverside's built and one is like maybe someone could do this but okay first of all i think adam's completely right is that you look notice at a lot of away grounds these days is that most away fans tend to be in a section behind the goal and then in that section, so that would be the putt the end for us, there does seem to be a group of fans that generate some atmosphere and make a bit of noise. Um, they enjoy waving their hands at away fans and it gives the away fans kind of almost someone to chant at and that always generates a little bit of atmosphere. I think once the Riverside's built, we're going to have a lot of seats, right? There's going to be an awful lot of seats to fill. I think that in the future, the club should look to build the putt the end as a place for younger fans that are more likely to be the kind of fan that would want to spend 90 minutes going in the away end to have much, much cheaper seats, incentivize them to move to the Putney end and create a little bit of atmosphere from that end of the ground. You're always going to have enough people to fill the Hammersmith end because people want to be in the Hammersmith end because it's kind of the spiritual home of Fulham. But actually, can you say that under 25 season tickets in the Putney end are ludicrously cheap going into next season once the Riverside is built? Make an incentive to go to the Putney end and create some noise. So that's one thing. Second, please, like, I know they're a bit of a joke and I know we've kind of owned the joke a bit, but the clappers don't help. I'm telling you the clappers kill the atmosphere because anytime a chant gets going, 6,000 other people just bash a clapper against a seat and it, and it, I think it genuinely kills the atmosphere. The only caveat I've got for that is that I think kids enjoy the, the clappers. So why not give a clapper, a better clapper to junior members and season ticket holders, right? Or or just outside the ground, give clappers to kids. They seem to enjoy it. I don't, I know I'm not here for ruining kids fun at football. Like they do get something out of it, but come on, we're adults. We have hands. We don't need clappers and save yourself thousands of kilos of just useless cardboard as well at the same time. The third one, and I noticed Norwich did this, and look, I have not got the time to set this up, and I'm sure you don't, but there might be someone that does. So Norwich did an amazing thing through a um, supporters club called Along Come Nodge, where they crowdfunded £15,000 for a load of, I mean, which is a ridiculous amount of money. I don't think we quite need that much to make flags in the Barclay end, I think it is uh, at Norwich. And if you ever see a Norwich game on TV, and these aren't just like plastic little crap flags. These are, you know, full big flags. And actually, if you go to Norwich and you see it before a game, it looks really good. And look, flags don't necessarily mean people sing, but it, it seems to have helped the atmosphere there massively. And just having kind of more fan displays and things like that. Again, I don't want to be like, Crystal Palace and trying to pretend to be German, but I I think something like that could work. And look, if there's someone out there who, you know, fancies putting together some money for a flag display or whatever, we'd back it 100%. As I say, I don't know if I've massively got the time, but like Fulhamish would back that 100%. And, and I've always said that. So that's what Norwich did. I would love to see something similar at Fulham, but again, I, I always feel a bit uncomfortable in this situation of, of going, people do this for me. Um, but that is just something that has worked amazingly well at Norwich and, and potentially could work at Fulham. Right, we're going to take a quick break and then a, a brief preview of Tuesday's trip to Birmingham. 
Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Isabel, George and Adam. A brief preview then of Tuesday's trip to Birmingham City in the Carabao Cup. Um, I guess my, my main question, Isabel, is do we care about the Carabao? Yeah, we do. We do. I think it's like like we were saying earlier, it's a good chance to give the likes of maybe Rodak, Brian, a, a run out. But obviously, yeah, I think we want to completely bag automatics in, in the league. But no, I think it is a, a good chance to see who can fill those positions when we are picking up injuries. Um, I also think Birmingham's actually quite a fun team to play in some ways. Hear me out. Um, he, Lee Bowyer's giving a lot of youngsters chances. You know, Jude Bellingham's younger brother, Joby Bellingham, at the age of 16, could make an appearance in the Carabao Cup. So it could be a really fun, fun fixture for us. And um, yeah, lots of young, exciting talent in their team. They're doing really well from those guys. So um, no, I'm really looking forward to watching it. Okay. Not the answer I was expecting. Adam, um, you know, will you be pulling out all the stops for the, for the Carabao Cup? Will you be making a tinfoil Carabao? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's absolutely me to uh, to a teammate. I was also thinking, you know, if, if we start Anguissa from, from the very beginning, uh, go all guns blazing. In all seriousness, I think it's, it's a chance to blood the youngsters, uh, blood some of our second team. And if we genuinely don't get a result, I won't be crying on Tuesday night. No, that's the main thing, Singer. I, I'm just I'm just wary of like, we need to save this team and saving ourselves another mid midweek or two come the third or fourth round is potentially not a bad thing. But also, I guess there is always the question of momentum. Like we have some momentum at the moment. We have some momentum going to this quite big Stoke game. And if we didn't win, it could potentially jeopardise that. But also I might be just talking bollocks and it doesn't really matter at all. I um yeah it's a it's a bit a bit of a balance right um I think uh, the championship is such a busy season anyway we don't really necessarily need extra matches you know I'm thinking back to remember when Bristol City um did so well and they got to the semi-finals um with Joe Bryan like scoring against Man United and that didn't necessarily help their league run so, you know, I certainly wouldn't be, you know, if we get knocked out this round, I don't think I or, or many Fulham fans would care that much. Um, I think for me, the best case scenario is Angisa comes on and Angisa gets an injury that keeps him out for about 11 days. So up until the, the day after the transfer window, if we can get him, if we can get him injured just for 11 days, so no one will take him and then we get him until January. I think for me, that's the, uh, that's the sweet spot. It's a difficult one to execute, but if, if we can pull that off. Genius. I don't think an 11 day injury is going to put off a club buying him. <laughs> well, or, 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 even, or even especially loaning him. Yeah. Yeah. May, maybe there's a hole in this plan. Um, yeah. Come back to me on that one. <laughs> I think we could kidnap him or something like that. I feel like if anyone, I feel like if anyone can engineer it, it's probably a Lebo your team. Yeah, give him a backhand or something. I don't know. It's a mad thing to be. It's what I want in this game. Not a one nil win. I want somehow Angisa's not get transferred. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you very much for listening today. Uh, we've gone off tangent in a few places, but that's what the Fulhamish podcast is all about. So myself, Jack and Peter will be back on Thursday, uh, looking back a bit at the Carabao Cup game, but probably more importantly, looking ahead to that big game against Stoke on Saturday. Uh, thank you to my guests today, Adam for Carson. Cheers, Sammy. George Singer. Cheers, everyone. And Isabel Barker. Thanks, Sammy. Adam, what are we going for for pod name? Uh, I think we're going to go with uh, Seri Seri Sauce. Very, very good. Okay, right. Thank you very much for listening today. Uh, we'll see what happens in the Carabao on Tuesday. Corny Whites. You Whites. Right.